Please always consult with your physicians prior to making any changes to your treatment plan. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast, a podcast geared to help you navigate the pediatric cancer world. As a mother of a child who battled a soft tissue sarcoma for over a year, your host, Rosaria Kozar, understands and will help guide you through your journey. She brings the knowledge of experts, families, survivors, and other organizations tied to the pediatric cancer world to your doorstep. Her mission is to inform, support, and promote hope for you and your family. This is where hope lives. This is where hope thrives. Together as one we You know, even today, the... Dealing with the post trauma of going through 28 rounds of chemo, and you know, so far I've had 18 surgeries, and imagining that um, with my child is is unthinkable. I am so excited. I have a best selling author, motivational speaker, survivor, and her name is Christine Handy. She's the author of national best selling novel, Walk Beside Me, where she recounts all of her experiences with cancer, illness. The Power of Friendship, Prayer, and Hope. She is a mother of two boys and a breast cancer survivor, and she's currently living in Miami, Florida. So welcome, Christine, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure is all mine. And today, I wanted to really get into something that we've never talked about on the show, so I'm super excited about this, and that is parents, like myself included, always want to change places with their child and I looked at my son the whole time and I said I wish I could take this away from him I wish I could go through this etc and I'm not going to sit here in this episode and say you need to strip that from who you are and what you want to do but instead I want to hear it from a source and that is Christine how was it for her the feelings, the emotions, the internal battlefields with having two sons and going through cancer. So we want to hear from you about how was that? How did that feel? And some of the emotions and internal battlefields that you went through during that time? Well, there's a lot. (laughs) Um, But when my son, my, my youngest son was born, he was born with severe asthma. And I remember in the first six months of his life, he had a couple procedures. And I remember then um, when he was just this tiny baby, I remember thinking to myself, please, God, don't let anything ever happen to my child. Just let it happen to me. And when I was 41 years old and I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I had no family history. Um, I'm, I, was a, I was the healthiest unhealthy person you would ever have met. I was a model. I, um, I looked healthy. I ate healthy. I'm allergic to sugar. Like there was no rhyme or reason for me getting this. And so it completely sideswiped me. And I remember thinking, you know, the day I was diagnosed, I remember thinking, uh, don't please God, don't rob me of going to my children's weddings. Don't rob me of having grandchildren. Don't, don't let somebody else parent my kids. Please, you know, keep me here so I can parent my kids. And and I remember thinking that when I was had to tell my children, you know, what was wrong. Um, and I was truly, I, it, this did cross my mind. I was very grateful that it happened to me and not to them. Because I, as a mother, you know, we have this prowess inside of us and we can take it, right? 
Um, but when we see something happen to our son, it's a completely different ball game. Even recently, my son, um, my older son, who's not, I mean, my younger son, who's 19, he just, he had a seizure on mother's day and he was driving home to have uh, dinner with me for mother's day. And I got a call from his girlfriend that he had had a seizure on the road and they, she had jumped into the, she had jumped into the driver's seat and thankfully had gotten the car to the side of the road, but he was on his way in an ambulance to the hospital. He had never had a seizure before. And the next day when I was actually able to talk to my son, because, you know, we're going through this whole COVID and nobody can, you can't go visit your 19 year old child because he's considered an adult. You can't even go into the hospital. And so when I talked to my son the next day, I said, I said, my cancer, the day my cancer, I was diagnosed with, with cancer was easier than the day I got a call that you were in an ambulance on their way to the hospital because you had a seizure. So it, it's just a completely 100% different ball game. I, I really can't imagine what it would feel like to have a child go through what I went through. Um, you know, even today, the, the dealing with the post-trauma of going through 28 rounds of chemo and, you know, so far I've had 18 surgeries and imagining that, um, with my child is, is unthinkable. And I think about my parents who, you know, have had to watch this and I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 41. Um, but even the trauma that they've had to go through because they've watched me continue to, you know, struggle with this stuff. It's, it's hard to understand, but I, I truly can't even imagine what it would be like for a parent to have a child with cancer. And, uh, kind of off topic, um, how old were your children when you were diagnosed? My younger son was 11 and my older son was 13. And interestingly enough, when I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, anger turned, fear turns into anger, especially when you're a child, especially when you're a boy and you're a child and you don't know how to emote how you feel. You don't know how to say to your mom, I'm scared, mom. I'm scared that you don't have hair right now. And I'm scared that you're in the hospital and I'm scared that you don't look like my mom. And and so what they did was they got angry. You know, they, they just, they, they, when they would be around me, they would be, they would, they were different. Um, they were detached and they were, it, it's interesting because when I ask them now, you know, if they remember that they, they don't remember it. Um, and one day I, you know, I lost my hair and I had different wigs and one day my son came home and I had had, I'm a, I'm blonde and I had a brunette wig and he looked at me and he he reached up I mean, he's 11. He was much shorter than me. He reached up and he took the wig off and he threw it across the room and he just starts sobbing because I didn't look like his mom and he needed me to look like his mom. Oh, wow. That's yeah. powerful. I, I don't know where to go with that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, it is. A, yeah, it is. And it was, it was important for me after that point, it was important for me um, because I, you know, unconsciously or, you know, without communicating in a, in a healthy manner. I mean, he's 11 years old. He wasn't able to communicate to me, mom, I'm scared. I want you to look like my mom. You know, I want you to wear a blonde wig. I don't want to see your bald head. You know, I want you to be in the kitchen, even if you're not eating, you know, he wasn't able to say those things. Um, but I could, I one, I could see that, you know, his reaction to the wig and I could sense it. You know, even when I couldn't eat, when even when I was violently ill, I sat in the kitchen and sat with my kids because they needed me to sit there. They needed their, they needed some normalcy, right? And mm -hmm. so, and so that's what I, I tried to do. I tried to make it as in a completely unnatural, unnormal situation. I tried to make it as normal as possible for them. 
And I think that goes across the spectrum for adult cancers and childhood cancers and their caregivers, always trying to make it as normal as possible, even though it can't be, but trying to. And you pointed out the lack of the ability of children to emote. And that goes on both ends of the spectrum. If you have a sick child, they're going to have problems with that. So do you have a way that you overcome it? Um, another thing that I, I did for my kids when I was going through this, and it's something that anybody can really do, uh, whether it's the child that's sick or the parent, um, I would put, you know, acronyms out. I would, I put a little picture of a frog and I would say to my son, fully rely on God. So F is fully, R is rely, O is on, and then G is God. So I'd put a little frog up and he'd look at it and he'd go, Oh, that's a reminder, you know, mom fully rely on God. I'm like, yes, that's a reminder. And so I'd put like little things out there so that, you know, they would, it was, it was almost like a support system within our own home. It didn't have to be people. It, it could be just little pieces here and there where they would be reminded, okay, you know, this is, this is a constant, right? God is a constant. This is okay. This is going to be okay. Um, another one I did was chemo. Um, I wrote out chemo and I put a little sticky and it's, and I put Christ has eliminated our opponent. And so when I would go to chemo, they'd look at that sticky and go, okay, my mom's going to be okay. Cause I, it, whether I was or not, right. I mean that it's, it's not, it's out of our, out of our control, but I put those little stickies up so that they could, they could go back to those and go, okay. And kind of take that anxiety and kind of take that fear away from them as much as I, as much as you can as a parent. I think that that is an amazing idea in terms of if a caretaker of of somebody that has childhood cancer, they also have a sibling that having those types of reminders out would be an excellent idea. So again, not stripping them of their feelings, but instead uh, putting out these almost like safety nets for their uh, children's emotions. Now, earlier you talked about in what we what I wanted to concentrate mostly on the show are your biggest fears in that would be kind of like trading places. And you said you didn't want somebody else to raise your child. Yeah, that was one of my biggest fears. I, when I, when I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, the things went out the window, right? There's no U-Haul behind the hearse. And so my focus, um, which, you know, we can all, we we're all, tempted by, you know, pretty things and, you know, whatever, but you know, we all have, we all have false idols in our life. Um, but you know, my perspective changed so dramatically and I realized that, you know, what immediately what came to mind was I want to be at my kid's wedding. I want to parent my kid. I don't want, I don't want somebody else to have the, have the, you know, good fortune of raising these two boys. I want to do it. And so I think during my battle, I, that was my focus. You know, I focused on, I wanted to stick around for them. And, uh, and, and that, that was really, that was my biggest, I would say from a fear perspective, that was my biggest fear. I wasn't so afraid of, you know, ultimately dying at some point. I was afraid of not being able to be there to parent them. Absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine that. And from my perspective as an outsider, I wanted to change places and I would change places in a heartbeat, but that would always be in the back of my head. I I would want to be there for my child. And there's no real positive 
way that we can view cancer as to who in the family gets it. It's not positive whatsoever. So that said, I commend you on how you handled yourself. But is there anything else that you would want to add for parents that or caregivers? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think our focus is so important, right? I mean, it's so traumatic to watch somebody you love suffer. It's just, it's incredibly traumatic. It's the, the anxiety is, is sometimes too intense. Right. And, and so what I have done in my life is I'll set a mantra and I'll just say to myself, when I get to those places of panic, I'll say, I am okay. And I have to just say that over and over and over again until I feel it because our, our body doesn't know, right. If we think like, if I think, okay, I about chemo, then I'm putting myself in that position. And so the fear just takes over. And so if I calm myself down by, you know, saying over and over again, I am okay. You can use an image, you can use a scripture, you can use like my mantras. I say, I am okay. Um, but you know, whether it's, whether you're the sick one or it's your child, you know, when you're, you know, looking at your child and you're, and you're seeing him suffer or her suffer, you can say to yourself, okay, he is going to be okay. And that changes, you know, your whole, your lymphatic system slows down. You you don't you know you're not putting cortisol in your body, and you, and your your mind changes and your focus changes, and then and then to go on further from that, you know, just you can even you can um you know change your course of your thoughts, you know, and and try to you know for me when I when I go into those panics or have these you know days or these moments of just like sheer you know post traumatic s- stress disorder then I have to change my thoughts. I have to change what I focus on. And that helps me a lot. Wow, you're definitely one strong woman. And the ability to do that, I would assume, is not easy. I've tried doing things like that before too. And it does take a lot of practice. So I have to ask you, which mantras or phrases or scriptures work best for you? I, I have a couple, but my, my favorite one is be still and know that I am the Lord. And my second one is let go and let God. And, and by the way, those are, it's not, it's not as simple as me just saying that. Right. I, I, and I, and I want to make sure, you know, whoever's listening understands that you can't just say a phrase and go, okay, it's, it's now I feel better. It's practice. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of courage um, because we, as humans, we, we stay in that mud. We want to stick in that mud. We want to feel bad. You know, we see our children suffering we, and we want to be there to suffer with them. Right. But ultimately that doesn't serve anybody. And so, and we have to be, uh, healthy, right? We have to be healthy enough to take care of our child when they're unhealthy. So for me, when I get in those places of panic or get in that mud where I just can't dig myself out, that's when I start saying, okay, let go and let God, this is out of my control. I, all I can do is choose my focus. I can choose to be a light for my son. And you know, my, my kids are older now. And another thing that I do, well, at this stage of my life, cause they're older is when I, you know, start to feel like panic, like, Oh my, what if my cancer comes back or, you know, I have to have this other surgery or whatever, then I will go serve. And what I do is I go serve other people. I go serve the poor. I go serve food. I whatever because it takes the it takes the focus off of me. It takes the focus off of my suffering, 
And it helps me to put my life into perspective and know that I'm not the only one out there that feels this bad. It's really interesting that you say that because I went, once I had my son's final diagnosis and started helping out with a nonprofit, sort of like a self-care type of thing. And I did it for similar reasons that you did. But I want to do a 180 flip on convos here. And this has to do with anxiety because children that are six or seven, like you said, can't really emote their feelings, but they might understand mortality. So can you describe what anxiety does for you, how you handle it? And for the sake of time, maybe we could put this into simplistic terms. I think we need to talk about courage. Courage is its own separate animal. So I think we should come back and talk about courage. That sounds fantastic to me. So why don't we come back in another episode and we can definitely do that. So uh, signing off with Christine Handy and stay tuned because we're going to have a double feature, folks. I am so excited for this. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Living with Scanxiety. Please subscribe to hear more informative discussions like today's. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner.